welcome one and all on this fabulous, fabulous Sunday morning. Uh, to those of you online, those of you who are worshiping with us on the telephone, my name is Doug Baker, one of the pastors here at Community. I know maybe you felt a little bit uh, tense about what was happening here this morning when, when normally the preacher would come up early in the service and Harvestan came up and maybe you wondered, is Harvestan preaching today? I don't know what's going on. Uh, but no, what, uh, what's wonderful is, and we're talking about our core values over the next several weeks, one of our core values is reproduction. So we're talking about church planting. Pastor Josh is going to go off and plant a brand new baby church. And uh, we also pour into up-and-coming leaders. We've got a ton of interns here at Community Church. And one of our interns, Allison Aiding, will be preaching in the gym this morning, which means that I get to hang out with you the whole service. And so we were talking with Chris Hansen, and we said, let's mix things up and do things out of order. And he said, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, hey. Uh, talking core values. Um, last week, Pastor Trent kind of opened it up, talking about empowerment, uh, how God pours into us and grows us up. We're always growing, um, and we can do that with others. We empower others, and we believe in what God is doing. In them today, we are talking about the second of our core values, and that is the core value of authenticity. And these are words you might find on our website if you look it up, authenticity. Even though it may cost us, it is better to be real and honest than to put on a front. Powerful stuff, really complicated to try and live out. So how do we unpack this? And as I contemplated it, my first initial impulse was to, to really kind of follow suit with those words and talk about what it has meant in my ministry. When I, was a first, when I first got into my first church as a pastor, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, go figure. And so I had like a I had a pastor persona. Like I would put on the pastor kind of demeanor and I'd have the pastor voice and I would preach certain ways and, and I would try and be all that I thought everybody wanted me to be. And after about nine years of that in ministry, I realized that's exhausting. And I wasn't being real. I wasn't being authentic. I wasn't being who God had made me to be. And so maybe I should talk about that. I should un unpack that for you and help you understand the journey. And, and, uh, and it kind of matches how our core value is, is kind of stated. But uh, the more I really tried to unpack that for this sermon, the more I thought about that and, and tried to write that down, the less comfort I had with that. Not because I'm not willing to tell the story, but <clears throat> I was uncomfortable because it seemed very Doug-centric. Like, let's just spend 20, 25 minutes talking about Doug. Um, and and I, just, I was reading in Colossians, and, and, and I just, it did not sit well. And so, what, how, how should we talk about authenticity? And it's not, a, it's not because uh, understanding the real us is wrong. Uh, it's not that that is like an untrue thing. That is a true thing. That is an aspect of authenticity, and it's an important one. Uh, because God does want us to be real with each other. He does not want us to be fake with each other uh, because it is actually impossible to have a relationship with a fake person. Like, I mean, think about it. The practicalities of, of being in relationship with somebody. If you don't actually know them, can you have a relationship with them? No, you can't because it's not them. You might have a relationship with whatever persona they have or the mask that they've got on, but you don't know them. And if you aren't giving them you, you 
then they don't know you. And that doesn't fit with loving. You can't love something that doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist. There's nothing there to love. So, and that's good stuff, but if that's not where we're going to focus, and, and, I, and I didn't want to focus there because, honestly, we are right now in the midst, as a society, we are in the midst of this amazingly grand debate about what it means to be real and what is our authentic self and, you know, who is the real me and who am I. And, and honestly, folks, as humans, we are notoriously untrustworthy when it comes to determining truth from a subjective source. We just are. We're, we're humans. We're, we're sinful. Our hearts, uh, our personal discernment, we're subjective. And when you get to that subjective place, who actually does get to decide what's true, what's real, who's the source of whether or not I'm being authentic or not? I could feel like I am, and you could feel like I'm not. Which one of us is right? Popular culture today is clinging to this right now and is telling us that who we are comes intrinsically from within, that what we personally prefer or choose or want or like or desire, that your distinct personality culture says that is your authentic self. And it is an alluring, uh, it is an alluring statement. It is, it is so tempting to want to go there. Um, for all of us, not just folks that, that want to go off in directions that we might not agree with, even us. I would love it if my world could just be dependent on me. I would be very happy all the time. But that's not real. God knows that's not real. He knows that if, if I'm the source of who I am, my world is going to crumble. Like I will rip my world apart if I get my origin story wrong. So the gift he gives us is by being our Father, Creator, God outside of us. He is God. And he is the one who made. And he is the one who is. And he is the one who determines what is true. Not just some subjective truth. God determines an objective truth. And so on this topic of authenticity, rather than look from the inside out for our answers, let's talk about what God says. Let's talk about where God looks. Let's talk about where God wants us to look to reveal who we are. Our scripture today is a passionate plea for the followers of Jesus Christ to seek what is real from somewhere other than ourselves. In his letter to the Colossians, uh, he's writing a letter. This, the, most of the New Testament are letters written by a guy named Paul to the churches that he established and the churches throughout the world at that time to help them understand the truth of Jesus Christ and how they can understand themselves in light of that truth. And he is writing this impassioned plea to the church in Colossae to help them, desperate for them, to tear free from the bondage of their old flesh and to marry themselves, to wed themselves solely to Christ their Savior and the life that he offers. Reminding them, reminding all of us that we are not a people of the world, we are a people of the word. That the origin story of a Christian is not of our making. We are made in the image of God. 
And he, he writes this. This is his attempt to kind of make that perception shift, to give us as Christians the, the, the shift in perspective to, to kind of take what we think we see and do that little like twist thing so we can actually see the clarity. Like going to the eye doctor, right? One, two. One, two. And one is super blurry and two is crystal clear. One, two. Actually, it actually reminds me, like someone who actually did that in real life, in the moment, reminds me of that wonderful quote from Abraham Lincoln. Uh, he, was, he was chatting with one of his advisors uh, during the Civil War, and one of his advisors turns to the president and says, Mr. President, I am so grateful that God is on the Union's side. To which Lincoln says, Sir, my concern is not whether or not God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side. For God is always right. Like, one, God only looks in one direction to understand who we are. And he wants us to only look in one direction to understand who we are. He looks at the cross. Listen to what he has to say. You know, I'm going to pray first, and then we're going to listen to what he has to say in Colossians, because we're going to be unpacking this kind of verse by verse a little bit. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for a chance to come together and to dig into, to unpack, to be the people of the word. Help us to see clearly how you've made us, who we are in light of the cross. Help us cast off the blurry vision of the past, the things that would obscure what is true, and to see our Savior Jesus in what you have for us. These words your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Colossians 3, we're going to start at verse 1. And I'm going to do something I don't normally do. We're actually going to kind of go little by little through the whole passage. Um, I just want you to know that uh, this makes me uncomfortable. I don't normally do this. So if I, um, yeah, I don't know. Here we go. Uh, since then, you have been raised with Christ. All right, pause. You. You have been raised with Christ. Pay attention, folks. This is not for the world. This is not us having some kind of a standard that needs to be put down on the world. He is talking to believers in Jesus Christ. You, you who follow Jesus, you who love the Savior, you who know that you live in him, you who are disciples of the one who lives and reigns forever and ever, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, you need to pay attention, you who have been raised with Christ. Since then, you. He's not talking to the world around you. He's talking to you. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. It matters what you worry about. It matters what you think about. It matters what passions you pursue. As followers of Jesus living in the midst of a fallen world, there are a lot of things vying for your attention, vying for your hearts and minds. 
what do we give into? What do we let into our homes? What do we let into our hearts? What do we let into our heads? We need to know. We need to be aware. We need to be paying attention because it matters. And if we are alive with Christ, if we are alive with Christ, then we need to ask if all of those things in our hearts, in our minds, are those things in alignment with what Jesus tells us in his word. That's quite a place to start. He goes on. Verse 3, 4, you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Folks, you died. That old you, the, the way you used to think of yourself, the things that used to be normal of you, the, 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 the things of the world that, 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 that kind of were a part of, of life every day, that human flesh authentic self, that self is dead, dead. With all of the, all of the ways that we understand what death means, like apart, separated, never to return, gone forever and ever, supposed to be dead, dead. You no longer have an identity apart from Christ. That separate you is dead. Dead. Now this, verse four, like, now this is like hub verse, linchpin verse. This, when I, I was reading this and this verse like jumped out at me in a new way, I've never seen it before. I blew my mind. I had no idea what to do with it. So I had to tell you about it. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The only time you, now that you're in Christ, the only time you show up is when Christ shows up first. The independent from Jesus, you, died, is dead, no longer lives. And because he is now your whole life, there is no life, there is no living, there's no authentic you without him showing up first. When Christ, who is your life, when he appears, only then you also will appear with him in glory. Only then. You don't appear until Jesus shows up first. And when you do, when that happens, you get to be with there in this amazing glory. Only when Christ appears, only when Christ is revealed, is the true me revealed along with him. If people don't see Jesus when I walk into a room, they'll never see me because I'm not there. And if I'm in that room without him, then I'm bringing something that's dead. Isn't that a crazy verse? Like that is like, I, could, I just couldn't contain myself. <sighs> and I never even thought of it like that before. And then he goes on, like he says, okay, now if that's true, if it really is true, like Jesus is always, the, 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 for you to authentically be in any space, Jesus needs to be there first. He's there in front. You're, you're through the Holy Spirit. You're bringing him first. And if that's true, that really is true, then he goes on, he goes on, verse 5. If that's true, then folks, put to death whatever belongs to that earthly nature, you know, like sexual immorality or impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. 
It's because of these the wrath of God is coming. And, and you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now. But now you must rid yourselves of all these things, things like anger and rage and malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. You've taken off your old self with its practices. You've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Why? Why? This is the question, right? This is the challenge. Why would we wear the clothes of dead men? Why? Why would we choose that? It's almost like, like it makes as much sense, like if you were in prison for whatever reason, I don't know why you're in prison, but you were in prison. You can think of the thing that you did. It's up to you. And you spend time in prison and you get to wear those fancy orange jumpsuits. And you serve your time and you get out and now you're free. And you go home and you're thinking to yourself, you know, orange really did look good on me. And you keep wearing the orange jumpsuit. Why? Don't. This is what Paul is saying. This is what God is saying to his church. Don't. Don't keep dressing like a prisoner. Now apply that to your whole identity, to the way you think, the things in your mind, the things in your heart. Apply that to how you live out in this world. That's what this passage is calling out. As much as it depends on you, bring your actual identity and how you live into alignment, that identity in Christ, that authentic you. Bring that and how you live into alignment. Make them one and the same. If you belong to Christ, then belong to him. And stop living as if this world actually makes sense. Because it doesn't. This world does not make sense. These things, he lists a bunch of things. These things are not a part of the living person we are in Jesus. They're dead to us. Unless we keep them alive. If we feast at the trough of sinfulness, if we gorge ourselves on its fruit, it will grow in us. If we are anemic in our pursuit of holiness and sanctification, if we are lazy in our investment into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we just don't really have the time. We will not have the strength to cast off the yoke of our oppressor or to catch him when he lies to us. But what God is saying here is don't forget who you are now in Christ and keep that identity at the forefront of your pursuits, at the forefront of your expectations. Let Jesus always enter the room first. And finally now, verse 11. Here, 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 here. There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Here, Paul unpacks a list of common ways that people identified themselves back then. 
to the church in Colossae, these words meant a lot. A lot of people would have identified with these words. Oh, I, I'm a Gentile. Oh, I've, I've been a Jew. Yeah. Circumcised, uncircumcised. Barbarian, I'm barbarian. Oh, no, no, Scythian over here. There were slaves that came to church. There were free people who came to church. And he's saying to them, here's this list of things that you might put on yourself. Stop. Stop thinking of yourselves in those terms. Those things might still be true. They might not change. But stop thinking of yourself that way. Because they're no longer, those things aren't actually you anymore. Only Christ is your identity. And I read that and I was thinking to myself, how, how do I label myself? What are the words that I use to help people understand me? And according to this, if I'm using, like, if I'm using any word, if I'm putting priority and, and weight on any label for me other than Christian, Christ follower, disciple of Jesus, that's, it might be a sign that I'm hanging on to my flesh. I'm hanging on to something old, an old identity piece. It might be a sign that I, I've misplaced my allegiances or my priorities. And that is a reminder then that I need to start, I need to pay attention to that and I need to die to myself and I need to know that I am not my own. I belong, body and soul, in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Those words sound familiar. Let's just, I'll just offer some examples, okay? So none of us here would fit any of these, like we, we wouldn't necessarily fit the, the, the characteristics of the church back then. That group had particular cultural characteristics. So what would be the characteristics? I was thinking about this. If, I were, if Paul were to be writing this letter just to me today, and he gets to verse 11, what would be the identifier words he would use for me? Because that, that helps me understand the things that I might be elevating to more important than Jesus. So, so I came up with a list. And as I'm coming up with this list, I encourage you to try and imagine what your list would be. What would Paul be saying to you? What are your identifiers that sometimes supersede who Jesus is in your life? So, all right, um, he, would, he would probably use the word reformed to describe me. I'm Reformed, grew up in the Reformed Church. It's a theological word. It's kind of a denominational word. It means that I'm not Methodist, and I'm not Lutheran, and I'm not Catholic. Um, I'm Reformed. I'm not Baptist. It's a word that I've enjoyed many, many times over the years. I appreciate it when people go, Reformed from what? Because then I get to go, oh, let me tell you the history. <laughs> but... It's just a word. What's another one Paul would use to describe me? Um, I, I, I'm Dutch. I come from a Dutch background. Um, of course, we've been in the United States for long enough. I guess I would also say I'm American. Um, Anglo. Um, he might use the word, I mean, let's just go with what culture is, is paying attention to right now. He might use the word straight. Um, 
Hey, we're getting close to an election year. Uh, maybe there'd be a political party he would put on me. And some of you are like, which one? <laughs> Doesn't matter, does it? Doesn't matter. I'm reformed. I'm kind of theologically orthodox. He would probably say that. Ooh, ooh. And I know for you sports people, like, this is going to be hard for you to hear. But for 40 years now, a little more, I've had a soft place in my heart for the Dallas Cowboys. I'm a Cowboys fan. I know. Does it matter? You still love me. (laughs) Thank you, Kurt. And I don't judge you for wearing green. Not today. In in here. (laughs) I'm a motorcyclist. It's parked right out front. You see that bike sitting out there? I wore a helmet this morning. You'd be very happy to hear. I would say that I'm financially stable. I would say that I am reasonably intelligent. I think he could use any of those words to write in this letter directly to me. To remind me, to say to me, that any of these words, any of these identifiers of Doug Baker in the midst of this modern world, any of them don't matter if I've given up Jesus coming into the room first. And they're the ones that'll try and take his place. Any of those might try and take his place. When it's election season, hmm. And it might seem to be really important, but is it more important than Jesus? Should that be the thing that comes into the room first when I'm dealing with folks and ministering to folks and loving on folks? When I come into the room with my family, is that more important than Jesus? All of those identifiers can come into my life and they they can have ownership over me if I let them, but I don't have to let them. These things are supposed to never come first. And this isn't the first time that God has said this. It is the way that God has been talking to his people from the very beginning. This is what what he said to Adam and Eve at the beginning. I'm first. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they messed it up. Well, we want to be first. We want to know what you know. They messed it up. Then he said it to Abraham. You know that kid that you were praying for? For a hundred years, here you go. And then when he started growing up, he said, you know what? That kid that you were waiting for, that one dream that you had, and I gave you the wish of your heart. I gave you this dream. Sacrifice him. Don't put him above me. And Abraham got it right. And he said, yes, Lord. And God stayed his hand, and there was a ram instead. And Jesus had a moment, Jesus had plenty of moments where this was the question. I think of one in particular, the rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Well, I mean, do the things that God says. I do them. You know what? Give away all your money. Give it to the poor. And come follow me. And that kid went away sad because he couldn't do it. 
This isn't the first time. Colossians 3 is not the first time we're getting this message. God says it over and over and over and over again. Am I first? It is here in Colossians 3 that God again urgently, passionately is trying to help his people tear free from the bondage and the shackles that have have contained us and to turn us loose into an authentic identity in Jesus Christ, to marry ourselves solely to our Savior. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I was watching a video uh, a lecture in a church given by a, a, a church historian by the name of uh, Dr. Gary Habermas. And he gave this, he was like impassioned, he's just wonderful. He laid out the case for, you know, the historical authenticity of many of, much of the gospel and, and how there's so much things that prove these activities that happened. And, and, and as he gets time to the end of it, he, he says this little thing, like a little, just three kind of different sentences that caught my attention. I mean, all the rest of it was great too, but these three sentences just boom, landed. And I'm like, I got to tell you all about this. So this is what he said uh, at kind of the end. He's, he was talking about marriage and he was talking about what, what we tie ourselves to. And he says this, when you get married, you don't say, I do, to good looks uh, or to smart or to fun to be with or I love the jokes. Uh, you don't marry those things. You marry the person who is those things. So when you say yes to Jesus, you marry the person of Jesus. You give your life to the person, Jesus. You're not just saying yes to an idea. When we take on this Christian identity, when we say yes to Jesus, we don't join ideas. We don't hitch our wagon to traditions or viewpoints, or conservatism, or activism, or any ideological stance on any issue. When we say yes to Jesus, we are eternally joining our identity with the one who is eternal, with Jesus who is Lord who died on a cross because our sin needed to be addressed and who rose again to conquer death. And we die with him in his death and we rise with him in his resurrection. He is our one and only. He is our precious one. He is. And everything about him is what we're all about for ourselves. Everything else that we might want to identify with or claim is important or get all riled up about, we must set all of them aside, crucify them on the cross with our sins because Jesus alone should be our sole heartbeat, the breath in our lungs, the rally cry in our minds, and the gnawing passion in our guts. And if he is not, if he, Jesus, is not the central focus of our every step, then we are not living an authentic life. Then we're not the real us that God intended to form when he knit us fearfully and wonderfully in our mother's womb. This level of authenticity has nothing to do with me being the real me, as I have decided. It is about revealing the real Christ. 
and high ideals and grand philosophies do not save people. Jesus saves people. The gospel alone offers salvation. The gospel alone, Jesus alone, transforms lives. My authentic self has nothing to do with the things that make me unique among the rest of the world. My authentic self is the revelation of the light of God, his glory, the presence of the body of Christ. I'm nothing apart from him. We are nothing apart from him. As followers of Jesus Christ, the only thing, the only time, the only time we're being authentic is when you see Jesus in us. That's authenticity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, I confess that every single day I forget to let you enter the room first. Because every single day there's something that's distracting, there's something that seems very important. And there are ways that I think and priorities that I have that, that seem important in a moment. But they don't, they're not me being with you. So I pray, I, I pray for your help. And on behalf, of, on behalf of your people here, we pray. Help us to recognize it when we are living according to the old dead ways, when we have put on our dead men's clothing. And give us the courage to toss them off so that you and you alone are everything about us. Live in us so that those who come, who, who we get a chance to hang out with and spend life with and interact with in this brief moment that we get to be alive, so that every single person we interact with gets to see you. We pray this in your precious name.